it all started with peanut butter. A new missionary family came to the field as brand new missionaries, and on this particular field, you could not get peanut butter. It just wasn't available on the market, but the family loved peanut butter. So they asked their friends back home, please send us a container of peanut butter because we like peanut butter. So they got, a, they got a container of a box of peanut butter from their friends back home, but the senior missionaries on the field that they're serving underneath deemed it spiritual not to eat peanut butter, so they started harassing this family. Why are you eating peanut butter? Well, we like peanut butter. It's a personal preference. We like peanut butter. There's nothing in the Bible that said you can't eat peanut butter or you should eat peanut butter. I mean, what, what are you talking about? And it got so heated that the two missionaries broke fellowship and the, 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 the new missionary left the field all because of peanut butter. That's craziness. Now, Chuck Swindoll actually probably got, got to the heart of what was taking place. He, he basically said, it kinda, this is probably what happened. The original family that came, when they couldn't get peanut butter, they decided among their family, we're going to give up peanut butter for Jesus. It's a small thing to do, to give up peanut butter for Jesus. We're going to do that because we think it's the spiritual thing to do. So they took that principle for their family and made it a universal principle for all people. That's legalism. That is the essence of legalism. When you take something and make it a universal principle for all people that's not been prescribed or told us in the Bible. That is the essence of legalism. That's what Paul wants to deal with in the text today. He wants to show us very clearly that external religious rituals, sensual experiential worship, and false dogmas do not produce Christ's likeness in the believer. Only the head of the church, Jesus Christ, can produce Christ's likeness in us. They have lost focus, and these false teachers wanted to say, okay, if you do these things, these actions, you will be spiritual. Not only that, we're requiring it for all the people in the body to do that. All of them. See, the false teachers were trying to bring the church under a bondage to regulations, rules. In this case, man-made rules, which seemed spiritual on the surface. Seemed spiritual but were actually very destructive in their essence. Two ways they were very destructive in their essence. Look with me in verse number 16 of chapter two of Colossians, and we will, Lord willing, finish this chapter today. <laughs> That's the goal. It starts in verse number 16. It says, therefore, and you know, we always ask the question, wherefore is it therefore, therefore? It's preceding verses dealt with that God took all of our trespasses, all of my criminal record of debt. First of all, he wiped it clean like on a papyrus, preparing to write something on it after. So he wipes it clean, nails it to the cross. I have died with Christ. I have been buried with Christ. I have risen with Christ. The living Christ lives in me. I have everything I need to grow in Christ's likeness. So therefore, Paul says, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are all very Jewish regulations here, you notice. New moon, Sabbath, diet, very Jewish in this essence. These that he just mentioned, food, drink, festival, new moon, Sabbath, these are just a shadow 
of the things to come. The, the, the shadow is not the essence of reality. It's what, it's the essence casts the shadow. It's just dim and dark, but the essence of reality, we are told here, the substance belongs to Christ. Those are just shadows that were supposed to point you to the Christ so you could be rooted and grow in him. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, what they've seen, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God." Therefore, in other words, because of who you are in Christ and where you've been placed in him and what he's doing in your life, therefore, all of those shadows, all of those things that were supposed to point you to the reality of Jesus Christ now are no longer necessary for your life. They're not going to help you necessarily grow in Christ-likeness. There were those in the congregation who were critical and judgmental. Of course, that never happens today, does it? Never, you never have a congregation with critical and judgmental people. That, uh, that never happens today. Basically, this is why they were judging each other. I'm just gonna make up a, a, a particular day a person has chosen to celebrate to the Lord and make an honorable day to God, and they've chosen that day. But that's not prescribed in the Bible. That's a free will choice. You can voluntarily do that, like eating peanut butter or not eating peanut butter. But you cannot make it a universal principle for all Christians to celebrate that particular day. And so what happens is this. You celebrate that day, but you don't celebrate that day. And you celebrate that day, but you don't celebrate that day. So you know what we got now? Divisions. We've got factions. We got people forming groups, those who celebrate the day, those who don't celebrate the day. And so you have divisions within the body. So what he's basically saying is, listen, don't let anyone come along and make you feel bad because you don't celebrate that day or you do celebrate that day. Don't let them pass judgment on you. Don't let it ruin your spiritual life by what other people are thinking about you or saying about you. He exhorted the church not to give in to the critics. Don't accept the judgment that they've given you as a truth. You know, and, and this is what happens. After a while, the, the group that celebrates that day sits around going, we're really spiritual people. And the group that doesn't celebrate that day say, well, we're not celebrating it to the Lord. But what happens is this. We begin asking the question, well, what's wrong with me then? What's wrong? Why don't I celebrate that day? That group over there is doing it and they're very spiritual. Why don't I celebrate? What's wrong with me? He's saying, don't let the critics or the judgmental people have you ask that question. There is nothing wrong with you. You are complete in Christ. So the question is, what's wrong with me? Why am I not doing this? See, these regulations being forced on the church were foreign to the teachings of Christ and they were unnecessary to the Christian faith. They did not help one grow in Christ-likeness. It's a warning for all of us to be very careful not to add rules to our lives that are not in accordance with the teachings of Christ, thinking that we're more spiritual if we obey them or if we follow them, man-made rules and regulations. And then all of a sudden we get this spiritual haughtiness about it. Look how spiritual I am. I do this and this person doesn't do that. Do you see what begins to happen? You start having comparisons between the believers and you start having competitions between the believers and soon you have divisions in the church. The substance of the false teachings was, well, as you see, were, were ritual things of the, of the Mosaic law, food and drink, festival, new moon or Sabbath. And the two topics that were the battlegrounds in the early church were diet, what you eat, and days, which days you celebrate. 
diet and days were the two battlegrounds in the early church. So the first question is, should Old Testament dietary laws be observed today? Should they? Or any other dietary law? Is it necessary to grow in Christ's likeness? Second question, should Christians eat meat offered to idols? So eating, should you eat meat offered to idol? And eating meat offered to an idol, you'd go into the marketplace and the meat was offered to an idol, then they'd sell it in the marketplace. Should you eat that or should you not eat that? These are both very emotional issues in the church and people who had strong opinions about them. And you can see how it could divide people in the church, causing factions and divisions. But they both are external practices and they do not necessarily connect to the heart relationship we have with the head of the church, Jesus Christ. The issue is what then produces Christ's likeness in me? If all of these things were simply a shadow pointing to the reality, why do I want to pay attention to the shadow when the reality has come? That's the idea. In Hebrews chapter one, the writer of Hebrews says this, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it, the law, the regulations, can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Such teachings of the false teachers, they seem to be really spiritual. Hey, you ought to pray every day. Good idea. You ought to pray one hour every day. It's a universal principle for all people. If you don't pray an hour, you're not spiritual. Do you see how you can make something good bad? They seem spiritual, but they're not. It's really, truly all about our relationship to Christ and our heart's commitment to him, not about external things that we're doing. We like to get wrapped up in the external things to show how spiritual we are. And Paul's saying there's a danger in that. It's not about what you look on the outside, but what do you look at? Well, listen, you and I know we can fake it really good for quite a while. We can fake it. Until you actually live with me, then you'll see how I am. I mean, you know what I mean? You can fake it for a long time. What on the outside may not correspond to what's on the inside. Gary Gulbison wrote on the Merv Griffin show. Some of you people remember that. I don't know if I watched that too much. He had a bodybuilder on there. And the bodybuilder, during the interview, Merv asked, why do you develop those particular muscles? And the bodybuilder didn't answer. He just went out and went, of course, I don't have any muscles to do that, but you got the point, right? I mean, you got, where's the beach? Oh, okay, that way, okay? <laughs> and the audience applauded. Whee! Okay, so, so Murph says, well, what do you use all those muscles for? He didn't answer. He just went, <laughs> beach. I mean, he never said anything. And so, but then he asked him again, what do you use those muscles for? And the bodybuilder was bewildered. He couldn't understand. Look at me. This is why I do it. I mean, look at the external. What's going on here? He didn't have an answer other than to display his well-developed frame. So Gary goes, I was reminded that our spiritual exercises, Bible study, prayer, reading Christian books, listening to Christian radio and tapes are also for a purpose. They're meant to strengthen our ability to build God's kingdom, not simply to improve our pose before an admiring audience. It's not about the externals. Those don't develop Christ's likeness in me. The head through his spirit living in me produces a Christ's likeness. If I get my eyes off the head, I'm not gonna grow in Christ. It's not about how we look externally, but what's happening in our hearts. We may look good on the outside, but Jesus knows what's in our hearts and they may be far away from him. And to consider those things, those diet and day, those things are... To consider them as important to the spiritual life is to undermine the work of Jesus Christ. 
If I can achieve Christ's likeness by what I do, why do I need Jesus? Why do I need Jesus at work in my life? If human effort was effective, the work of Christ is unnecessary. See, it's not that days and diets are wrong in and of themselves. There's nothing wrong with that. You can choose to, 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 to follow the Old Testament restrictive diet if you want to. You could celebrate the Sabbath. Fine, there's nothing wrong with in and of themselves. There's, nothing, there's no sinful act in any of those. It's the motivation for keeping them. Why are you doing it? And typically the externals are about a man-centered worship. Think Pharisees. They did it to be seen of men. It focuses on action and replaces the daily fellowship, the relationship to Jesus, the head of the body from whence we grow in Christ's likeness. Legalism is an attitude. It starts up here. I'm better if I do this than the person who doesn't do that. Or I'm better if I don't do this and the person who does do that. Think Romans 14. Don't let them disqualify you. Well, what does that mean to disqualify a person? Does it mean I lose my salvation? No, that's not what it's talking about. It actually means to make someone unsuitable for an office or an action. Nelson's New Illustrated Bible Dictionary defines it like this. The literal sense of the word is tested and proved to be false or unacceptable. Borrowed from the athletic games, the word describes a contestant who, because of some infraction of the rules, is disqualified from winning the prize. If we start focusing on days and diets for our Christ-likeness, we will, we will forfeit the prize. What is the prize? The rewards of the faithfulness of following Jesus. We're not talking about disqualified for salvation. We're talking about we'll lose the rewards because what? We look to them for Christ-likeness and not to him for Christ-likeness. The reward will not be there. He's serious. He wants to, it's very serious for the church, Paul is saying. Now, there's a section here where I don't even know how that's even considered to be a good, days and diets, it's, either, it's neutral, neither here or there. But worshiping angels, that's pretty cut and dry for me. I mean, we should not worship, I hope you don't worship angels. I hope you don't pray to angels. Hope you don't have angels. I hope you don't worship angels. It, it just seems like one of those no-brainers to me. We don't worship, why worship an inferior being when we can worship the creator of the angels? So the false teachers taught that through ascetic practices, the mind and spirit could be tuned to higher spiritual realities. Bring the body under subjection. Bring the mind under subjection. And part of that is not bad. Paul talks about that. But it's a little bit different with asceticism. The Lexan Bible Dictionary describes asceticism as the voluntary abstention from the satisfaction of bodily and social needs, including food, drink, sexual activity, sleep, clothes, wealth, and social interaction. Asceticism. Some people in the, in the first century would go away from the world, out, I've told you this before, out on a pole, basically 30 feet high, and sat there for years. Asceticism. Some people beat their back with whips. Asceticism. Some people fast. Now, there's nothing wrong with fasting. Don't, that's why it gets so difficult. There's nothing wrong with fasting. We should fast. But if you fast to be seen of men, Jesus said that's wrong. They insist, these false teachers, that we do this. Their will is that we practice these things. What does it do? It draws us away from the head. The head, he, from him comes all of our source of strength and Christ-likeness. Those who practice this are more, are more spiritual, says the false teachers. You're more spiritual if you do that. What's wrong with you if you're not doing that? Something must be up in your spiritual life. Are you sinning? Warren Wiersbe wrote, an ascetic practices rigorous self-denial and even self-mortification. 
in order to become more spiritual. Ascetic practices were popular during the Middle Ages, wearing hair skirts next to the skin, sleeping on hard beds, whipping oneself, not speaking for days, maybe years. You know, you want to say that to your children sometime. Hey, can we practice that one? <laughs> Going without food or sleep. This is what the ascetic practices. And again, some of the things that they do, it's not bad. Whipping yourself, obviously, is not good. But there's some things that it's not bad. But the problem is they think by doing them, they're more spiritual than you who are not doing them. That's where the problem runs into. See, in legalism, doing the religious act is the holy thing. So the others not doing it are not holy. They're unholy people. Legalism destroys relationships. It always causes division. Because when you deem that day special and do it to the Lord, but then you make it a universal principle for all people to do it, then you're going to start judging them for not doing it and be critical of them because, hey, you want them to be spiritual. They're your brother and sister in Christ. Legalism destroys relationships. It causes divisions. It becomes about comparison and competition. Nowhere in the body are we ever to compare ourselves with one another or compete with one another. Never. You want to compare yourself? Compare yourself to Jesus Christ. He's our standard. We don't compare ourselves to each other. And so some of them would worship this way and then come back and they would say to you, well, why aren't you worshiping this way? This is the best way to worship. It makes you more spiritual if you do it this way. What's wrong with you? And you start feeling bad again. What's wrong with me? Don't you want to be spiritual is what the false teachers are saying? Then worship like us. Do it just like us a universal principle for all people. The false teachers had this spiritual mind, what they called a sensuous mind, produced a false pride, prideful disposition in them. This, this, this characterized mind by, by gratifying the senses, eyes, ears, nose, mouth, touch, feeling, all those things. That's what the mind was all about. How do I feel or see or hear in this world? So one experience led to another and the hunger for such experiences was fed by the mind of the flesh which so delights in, 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 in experiential religion, external religion. See, Christ, rather than experiences, determines spiritual reality. Not what I experience, but Christ determines spiritual reality. John Brown, the 19th century Scottish theologian, said, holiness does not consist in mystic speculations, enthusiastic fervors, or uncommanded, uh, uncommanded austerities. It consists in thinking as God thinks, and willing as God wills. But the false teachers are saying, listen, no, you, you practice this day, you eat this food, then you're spiritual, and we'll watch you, make sure you do it, and if you don't do it, we'll let everyone know how bad you are as a person. Do you see how this destroys relationships? The ascetic person hopes to sanctify the soul by the disciplines of their body, but the problem is it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Those external things can never help us fight against this inward pull in us to sin. We call it the, the indwelling sin principle in us still. None of these things fight against that. What fights against that? He's going to tell us here in the text. Look at verse number 20. If with Christ you die, now it's not a questionable statement, it's a sense statement. Since with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you were still alive in the world, in other words, you've died to the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, 
referring to things that, are all, that all perish as they are used. Think about food, hamburger. I eat it, it perishes with its use. Okay? According to human precepts and teachings, these that he just listed have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they, these practices, are of no value. They don't help us in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. I don't care how well you give, fast, all of these things that we deem spiritual things, if you're doing them with the wrong motivation, they cannot help us fight against this tendency to sin. What helps us then? He tells us in the text. He tells us in the text. We died with Christ. We died with him to the elemental principles of the world. Nothing that the, of this world system holds us any longer. We died. Do we actually realize that we died with Christ? Do you actually realize that God doesn't want us better? God wants us deader. That's a song by Ray Fraser. Dead people don't mind the pain, don't get offended, so they never complain. They're not concerned about personal gain. Does that sound like me or you? The truth is rising from the mist, and the word is this, that when Jesus calls a man, he calls him to come and die. He doesn't want you better, he wants you deader. We have died with Christ. The world no longer has a pull on us. We have been severed from that. So he says, don't submit again to all of that. And typically the word submit used in the New Testament has the idea of ordering oneself underneath a superior, a submission. That's the idea typically in the word that's used. That's not this word. This is a completely different word. This word submit, we get our English word dogma from. A dogma, a teaching. This is where we get our English word from. So it means, why are you coming under the dominion of this dogma? This teaching, why are you letting this teaching that's not of Christ influence your life? Don't submit, don't come underneath the dominion of this dogma. It was non-Christian, this dogma. It was devastating for spiritual growth. It does not help. Just as religious days and diets have no sanctifying value, neither does fleshly discipline in our life. Some were willingly embracing a system of thought contrary to Christianity. Again, if I can do it, why do I need Christ? It enslaved them. That's really the heart of what Paul's trying to get to in Galatians chapter five when he talks about the law. And if you want to be an adherent to the law, then you have to do all of the law. And he says, but wait a second. Christ has already fulfilled the law. Why do you submit to it once again and enslave yourself? Galatians chapter five. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. That's, you remember the Jerusalem Council, Acts 15? They got together and said, what are we going to tell the Gentiles who are coming to faith in Jesus Christ? Should they be baptized? Should they follow the laws of Moses? What should we tell them? And the conclusion they came down to is, listen, let's not put on the Gentiles a yoke that neither our fathers nor we ourselves were able to bear because it became a burden to them. Don't go back underneath that slavery. You have been set free for Christ has fulfilled the demands of the law. The rules of this dogma, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. This dogma was heresy and it undermined the very heart of the gospel message. And that is the head is the one who completes us. The head is the one who brings us into Christ's likeness, not external religious rites. As Christians, we are dead to this world because of our union with Christ in his death and resurrection. Notice the character of the things to avoid. 
Don't touch them. Don't taste them. Don't handle them. Don't manage with the hands. Don't touch. Uh, adhere to certain Levitical ceremonial practices to avoid ex- uh, um, contacting external defilement. Don't touch it. Kind of like the, the priest wasn't supposed to touch a dead, dead body. That's the idea. Don't touch it. This dogma substituted the temporal for the eternal, making food and observances the center of the practice. It forgot the eternal and it practices the temporal. Richard Mellick wrote, the warning suggests that the focus was limited to this world and that which passes away. Such things are the object of human commands and teachings, which contain no more insight than the world of which they were a part. Since the Christian's life is never ending, the Christian should focus on what lasts. These things pass on in time, and for many of them, in a short time. Using them or not has little significance to the broad spectrum of time and eternity. Again, we're not talking about sinful practices. We're talking about things that you add into your life that you think are going to make you more spiritual, and that is the motivation you're doing them so that others can see how spiritual you are. You're missing the point. You're missing the point. Even Jesus talked about food, saying, listen, there's no unclean food. He already told us that. It, Paul told us in Romans, and, Mark, and, and Jesus said it in Mark. Paul says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. So there's nothing unclean. And Jesus said in Mark 7, and he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from, out, without, from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled, thus he declared all foods clean. So if I come along and tell you, well, yeah, you can't eat bacon, sorry. I, that would be horrible. Is it, I, I just, I'm, I'm doing an unscientific survey. Does anyone not like bacon here? I knew it. I totally knew it. I can't find anyone that doesn't like bacon, okay? Only with peanut butter. Only with peanut butter. I love it. That is spiritual. <laughs> Mark it down. If we don't do it like that, we're wrong. I like it. So, so, so the idea is, listen, if you say I don't want to eat pork, that's fine. I'm okay with that. I had a friend, a Christian friend who said, I don't eat pork. I'm okay with that. That's fine. He said, but I will never ask you not to eat pork. I said, thank you. He didn't make it a universal law for everyone. It was for him personally. That's okay. That's Romans 14. That's what Paul's talking about. There's nothing wrong with that. But the object of this dogma, this teaching from the false teachers, had no value for their sanctification. It didn't help them grow in Christ's likeness at all. It was worthless. These things commanded by human tradition didn't have any value to prevent me lusting after doing those things that the flesh wants. It doesn't help me stop that lusting, that indulgence. We cannot say by our absence of food that we're more spiritual than another Christian who does eat and gives thanks to God. Romans 14, the one who observes the day honors it to the Lord, uh, observed it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Again, we're not talking about sinful things. You want to say, I celebrate this day. And the other one says, well, I don't celebrate it to the Lord, but I celebrate it to the Lord. Well, great. Let it be. Let him celebrate that day. But the one who celebrates should not look at the one who doesn't celebrate and say, something's wrong with you. You're not celebrating it. We have to give grace in these things that the Bible does not prescribe or command us to do. I drive a Ford. You may drive a Chevy. You may drive a Honda. We can't start having groups of people and say, hey, Fords are better than Chevys. 
Come on, Chevy owners, let's go. I was expecting found on the road dead, you know, all those things that you say about Ford. You see, we're talking about non-sinful things. But when you elevate these things, these practices, and say these make you more like Christ and everybody has to abide by them, that's where the danger lies because then judgment comes in, criticalness comes in, and divisions start within the body. What the false teachers were saying sounded wise, but it was worldly, it was foolish. See, we already talked about that legalism destroys relationships in the body. We already talked about that. It be, it, it, it's about comparisons and contrasts and, and, and competition. We don't want to do that. But they had this false humidity, these false teachers, and this, this self-imposed ritual that they said everyone has to follow to be spiritual. This false humility of abasing the body, thinking that they're growing in Christ's likeness is not helping the body, it's hurting the body. This ascetic discipline in one's life you know that after lengthy physical stress, the body responds in unusual ways which they interpret as religious experience. Run around a fire for 45 minutes chanting and screaming and your body could enter into a different state is what they're basically saying, okay? Think of the Oracle of Delphi. Oracle of Delphi, young virgin is chosen to go and people come and listen. Apparently she's communicating with the small g gods. What was found out was Right where she was located at, there's a rift in the earth that let up noxious gases that are actually intoxifying. She was drugged out of her mind when she's giving these ecstatic utterances. But people saw them as religious experiences. The false wisdom and practices did not curb the desires of the flesh. They only spoke to the externals and not to the heart of the person, not to the heart the false dogma of the teachers did not offer a means of conquering the desires of the flesh. That gratification, that satisfaction that we have sometimes where we just feel pulled, this indwelling sin principle that pulls us away from God. And, and prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love, Charles Wesley's song. We feel it pulling us away, indulging. We want to indulge, the gratify the flesh. This doesn't help that. It doesn't stop it. It doesn't curb it. Only God can conquer the flesh. Only God can conquer the flesh. Galatians 5, talking about the fruit of the Spirit. When the Spirit is at, at work in you, this is a fruit that conquers the flesh. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. This is when the Holy Spirit is at work in us and God is conquering these indulgences, trying to satisfy the flesh because the Spirit's at work in us. I don't yell at my friend. I'm kind, I'm patient, I'm good, I love. All of those things, those are what conquered the flesh. That's because the head has sent his spirit into all of his children to dwell there, to, to conform us into the image of his son. He, the spirit, battles the flesh and keeps the flesh from fulfilling its lusts. So Paul continues on in verse 25. If we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit. For it is the spirit at work in us that produces a Christ likeness because we're connected to the head of the body from which grows everything. We have been transferred into God's kingdom and therefore we are governed by, our lives are governed by his spirit, not by the rules of men. Colossians 1, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. 
See, the power of Christ in the life of the believer does more than merely restrain the desires of the flesh. It put new desires within him. Nature determines appetite. Remember, you're no longer in Adam. You're in Christ. You have died to this world. You've been buried with Christ. You rose again with Christ. He has made you a new creation with a new heart. You have new appetites now. We don't need a law outside of ourselves to control our appetites because we have the life of Christ inside of us that's controlling these appetites. And that's what he's trying to say. Legalism destroys relationships. Legalism hinders or blocks spiritual growth because it focuses on externals and not on the head, which fills all things out. So we will not abuse our bodies believing it makes us more spiritual. We will not get trapped in false worship. We will not let experiences determine spiritual reality, but we will, we will look to Christ through his word and let it determine everything that we are doing. Jesus said, remain in me. Make your home in me. And all of these external things that are neutral in and of themselves, not sinful, but neutral in and of themselves, they are not going to make you more spiritual. But me, who dwells within you by my spirit, will produce in you Christ-likeness. Look to the head, not to the externals. Let's pray. Father, thank you. We just thank you because we're reminded how easy it is to, to get trapped into this we read our Bibles an hour a day and we think we're so much better than someone else who only reads 15 minutes a day. We compare ourselves and we put ourselves in competition with other Christians. It is not good for the body, Father. It causes divisions. It destroys relationships, legalism does. Help us please to understand this principle that if we set aside a particular day to honor and worship you and another believer doesn't, that's okay. It's not prescribed that we have to. So Father, let us learn grace with our brothers and sisters that we don't judge them or critical of them because they don't do it exactly like we do it. Father, thank you for your spirit who dwells within us. Thank you that we are connected to the head who has forgiven us by his work on the cross. He's placed his life in us. So out of it, we live, not by external rituals, but by your life, Father, that's in us through your spirit, by your son. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.